Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the J-Rod Rises sports business podcast, The Sportacast. It's almost as if we didn't speak earlier and discuss that we wanted to talk about J-Rod. <laughs> it's almost like that didn't happen. We're on almost the same page like- on this one. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got to say... I didn't know, and again, we work in sports, we this and that, you know, the Mariners won 14 in a row going into the break and, you know, making some noise, all right, but I still don't consider J-Rod to be on the national radar. Of course, my son knows all about him because of the video game. I get it. Of course. But to sort of your casual sports fan strolling the streets of, insert city here, where did J-Rod rank before? The Home Run Derby and All-Star Weekend. And where does J-Rod rank now? Uh, certainly, I think he was low. If you're an avid baseball fan, I think you've known this name for, for a year or two. He's been a, a hot and highly touted prospect for a while, uh, and he's a rookie. But yeah, I think it, it takes a while for, for baseball players to crack. Certainly nowadays, given the, the status of the league, I think it takes a while to, to, to crack into the, 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 the more general sports fan lexicon. But he did it in a big way at the Home Run Derby Scott and his wallet also uh, not not having a bad week. Uh, I think a lot of people were taken aback by this. He's making the league minimum seven hundred thousand dollars as a rookie. He won seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for finishing second in the home run derby. So not a bad uh, result for him. Not just in I think a lot more people knowing who he is, but him also essentially doubling his his yearly salary uh, for for one night of uh, hitting a lot of dingers. You know, when he got into the finals, I was struck by the juxtaposition. I was hoping that our very own Barry Bloom would in some way, shape or form write about it or bring it up uh, between Juan Soto, who just turned down a four hundred and forty mm. million dollar offer and J-Rod, who's, you know, making 700K as a rookie. But we all know that's, you know, that's one of the things that was part of the collective bargaining, that baseball is trending towards these younger players becoming stars earlier. Teams want to keep them from getting paid because then you get that second, third contract for mega money. Um, but one of the points of emphasis from the union side was that they wanted these younger players to make more money earlier. Um, that's r- and there's always that's been right. a bit of a compromise. I, I always think of David Wright. I don't know why, but I think of David Wright, huh. where it's like, hey, they gave him a long-term deal. He took a little less than he would have had he waited, and they gave him a lot of money. So there was compromise on both sides. Um, but I, I do chuckle that it's these man-made events 
that makes stars out of these guys, not the games that are played every day of the week that people can see. It's the same thing with the dunk competition or the three-point competition at NBA All-Star. Like There were people like, uh, whatever, I'm not going to pick a, a particular person to pick on anybody, but there were certainly players who won the dunk competition. Prior to that, people did not know. And they were not exactly known for sort of the success in the team basketball world, but they were the dunk champions, right? And so uh, that sort of propelled them to great fame, if not fortune. And you get the same uh, feeling here that this is really going to catapult J-Rod into consciousness. And I think that's that's good for baseball, right? I sure, mean, this is sure. a sport that really wants its players to to, to be more than just the the baseball players you think of as playing on you know throughout the throughout the week. I think the more that baseball players can do things that 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 more general public thinks of as cool and flashy and exciting, I think that's great for baseball. And it's obviously it's good for good for him too. I think the the opposite is the bigger concern, right? That that these that these exhibition events just get this reputation within the league that there's no reason to do them. There's no benefit for the stars to go. Uh, and, and then you have a much worse product. So that seems like a, a win for baseball in a lot of ways. And, and I laugh again. And I, I, I know we're in a little bit of a bubble here, the media bubble, but I look on social and it's like, oh boy, look at the genius of miking up the players. And oh boy, <laughs> didn't that pitcher have great personality? And this is like, really? Again, I go back to David Stern and I, you know, and I was like 10 years old. Can we put a camera in the locker room? People want to get closer. They want to know more. They want to see, they want to hear, they want to. It, yeah, it, it's no great shakes. You know, I I loved it when I was watching the game, a real game that counted and a player was wearing the microphone that that was, I think, I think it was Kike Hernandez is when I saw it. And, and he, you know, mm. I'm like, now this is something. This is a game that counts. And he's yeah. theater. Talk, Great. I mean, for for exhibitions, man, they should be there should be drones crisscrossing. There should be sensors. There should would you name it. Everything under the sun should be trial an error during these exhibitions. Um, and I hated, by the way, you let me know this. I hated and the angle of the camera from behind home plate. You couldn't, you can't, you can't see anything. And I'm not saying yeah. I know which one's better, but that's terrible. And when will networks understand that the camera on the umpire's helmet does not work because the <laughs> umpire moves his damn head all the time. <laughs> I get nauseous waiting for the umpire to sip. Well, you can see right there. Then, okay, he's about to go into the crouch. Here's the pitch, and down they go. You're like, oh, come on. Stop with the mo. If you're going to do that as the umpire, then you need to be stationary or as stationary as you can. So I can appreciate what a Clayton curveball, a Clayton Kershaw curveball or slider that totally fools Aaron Judge looks like instead of me getting all herky jerky and I can't really see what it looks like. But anyway, uh, I'm all for innovation. Yeah, I'm all for I'm all for trial and error. I'm all for players trying to come out. I, what um, yeah, had uh, Nestor Cortez with, with his Trevino, his, you know, his catcher. They were they were asking like John Smoltz or was Samoa or whatever. Which pitcher was saying, "What do you want me to throw?" That's great. That's what this should be. One hundred. No, I'm sorry. Ninety nine point nine percent entertainment. Point one percent competition. I'll throw one more complaint. On this, Scott, did you follow the uh, some of the controversy around the rules that were broken along the way, and particularly how it relates to gambling? And there's a wider point to be made here. But Darren Ravel was all it, over this for uh, the entire time. There were a time. few different issues that that people who were watching this with a keen eye, particularly those who had some money riding on it, noticed. 
Uh, one of which, maybe the, the most egregious of which, is that in the Kyle Schwarber uh, Albert Pujols matchup, uh, the the counters missed a, a, a Kyle Schwarber home run in the overtime session, and Pujols won twenty to nineteen. But it seems like in reality they both hit twenty home runs in the allotted time. Uh, so there were people who had bet on a lot of people who had bet on Kyle Schwarber that I think were rightfully pretty upset about that. Uh, some other things that the, the rules state that you're not supposed to throw the next pitch until the until ball, the ball that has previously been hit has been landed. Yeah. Uh, that was egregiously broken by a lot of the the pitcher and hitter combos uh, participating. And then there was a pitch at one point that was thrown after the clock had hit double zero, which which should, means the pitch should not count. Um, yeah. But it was hit for a home run and was counted. Um, this is obviously a, it's an exhibition event. A lot of fans don't care. But if you're Major League Baseball and if you're sports betting operators and data companies that are going to take bets on these things, you have to fix a lot of these issues. You have to make sure the, the rules are set and, and, and the, and, and, and everything is happening kind of on the up and up because I totally understand how, how people would be very upset that, you know, they bet on Kyle Schwarber uh, to hit more home runs than everybody else. And, and he didn't technically actually lose, but he got eliminated. I think there's a lot in here and some lessons I think for other leagues as well the more and more that gambling becomes a bigger part of the sport. And, and and to be clear, leagues are complicit in making it a bigger part. They are taking money from operators and data companies. They are pushing the idea of fan engagement through gambling. The more and more that that happens, the more they have to be certain that the rules are being followed and that there, is, there aren't issues like what happened at the Home Run Derby. First, I will tell you how cool I am and I will, I will encourage everybody if you don't know Little Man on, uh, you know, on the Xbox, MLB The Show, go Google Little Man. I have and, no idea what you're talking about. He, he I, will, plays, I will Google it. All right. <laughs> my, my focus group with one and his pals, they love Little Man. And, and when I started to watch it with him, when Schwarber hits a home run, he's good. He's like, Schwarber! So I did that when Schwarber <laughs> hit a home run. And you should have seen, they all looked at me like, how cool is your dad? Like, how does he know Little Man? So that's awesome. Thank, thank you very much. I, if I, I'm imagining a big part of our demographic of listeners for this show have no idea what I'm talking about, just like you. <laughs> so you go Google yeah. uh, MLB the show, Little Man, and and see what you find. I, I hope you do it right after we record because you'd be like, great. I will. I and will. second point, I, I am I'm right there with you. This isn't a an if. Like you have to get this right if you're MLB. You have to. If you're going to allow people to bet on this, and it's going to be sort of one of the events that. You know the 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 books are gonna are gonna allow bets on. You have got to treat it as if it matters, or at least if you're gonna put rules in there, you've got to at least uh, make sure the rules are followed. And I give a a big chuckle, and you know where I'm going on this one, because long before sports betting even came in, we were having a conversation with Adam Silver, and in anticipation of this, Adam said something. And the attention to detail was really interesting. He said one thing they're going to clean up, and this was what two or three years ago, I think, mm-hmm. right? Three, more, or three, four, more, five, yeah. whatever it was, yeah. it was, years ago. But he said one of the things we at the NBA need to clean up is the discrepancy in player heights and weights. Like this is a measurable statistic that now, and the reason mm-hmm. was the interesting part. They've been letting this go for years. There are people who are seven feet tall, a la Kevin Garnett, who don't want to be considered a seven-footer because he likes to play away from the basket. So he lists himself at 6'11", even though he's seven feet. Then there are some people who are six foot two, six foot three, whose SIDs in college wanted to give them a better draft chance, so they they list them at 6'6", 6'7". That stuff went on all the time, and nobody really cared. It was just a joke, whatever. However, Adam then made the point 
that if we are really going into a, a world of data where data matters and accuracy matters, and that's why you're, they get big money for their straight data feeds because it's fast and it's most of all accurate. It has to be right. We can't live in that world as the NBA except money for data, accurate data, and not be able to measure our players' height. Like That's a pretty easy thing. You show up during training camp, you take off your sneakers, and you stand against the wall, and I can tell definitively if you're six foot eleven and a quarter, or if you're <laughs> seven foot one. And yeah. he said we have to get it right because we are we are re- entering into a world where data now has great value, it matters. and they yeah. need to be able to trust us on all of it. That's a lesson I think Rob Manfred and the rest of baseball needs to understand. If you're going to do this, and people are going to bet on it, you have to set the rules and follow them. Agreed. One more thing before we move on from Major League Baseball. I, I thought this was, was was very funny. The Did you catch that the Oakland A's lone, uh, lone all-star, I think his name is Paul Blackburn, they booked him a commercial flight to fly to the all-star game. Um, and he ended up, I think, getting in with the Houston Astros and their all-stars and flying flying private. But but everybody was freaking out about the idea that, that, that the A's would send their all-star to the game flying commercial and I don't remember her name but there was a WNBA player who retweeted the story with, with the words wow that's crazy commercial flights which I thought was paging Josiah exactly exactly I thought that was a, a good well, tweet to sum up uh, well I, al- well, I also as long as we're talking commercial flights uh, I also saw that didn't Juan Soto have to take a commercial flight it, it seems like yeah after he won the home run derby he had to fly back uh, commercial and there are some people speculating who knows if this is true that that is frustration from the Nationals over his uh, rejection of their $440 million offer. Well, I, I assume it is, but I like if I'm his agent, again, I believe, you know, if you're Scott Boris or if you're, if you're an agent, take care of your client, right? Like figure this out. Even if it's an endorsement deal, something, get your, get your client a flight. If you're turning down a $440 million contract offer, it feels like you can, uh, you can afford to put yourself in, in first class when you're, when you're flying across the country. Wheels up. Not a sponsor there of the show, go. but anyway, you know that there are <laughs> options out there. You know, Gulfstream, Airbutt. There, there are there are options out there. I mean, until we get the Buck Rogers jetpack, like there, there are other ways you can do it. All right, tell me about the LA Raiders. Great work by Kurt Bodenhausen. We LA normally, Raiders. Whoa, <laughs> what's that? Did I say LA? You said LA. Yeah. All right. Uh, what am I? I'm looking down at my thing. I have LA for something else. He Las knows little Vegas. man, but doesn't know where the Raiders. I meant to say are. LV instead of LA. The they, LV they Raiders. Know. That's the problem with my with my penmanship. It's absolutely abysmal. But the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, if I told you that in tickets sold, they ranked number 25 in the 32 team NFL, and then, all right, number 25 in tickets sold. And I asked you then to speculate where in the revenue rankings they 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 lived. Would you go up or down? What two, three, four spots? Like what? Where, what was your immediate reaction? To? <laughs> it's a great it's a great question, and 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 the answer here is that they were number one. Numero I would never, I would never would have thought that. Uh, so so every year the NFL distributes to all of its teams a, a rundown of how all of its teams performed from a from just a total ticket sales perspective from a revenue from ticket sales particularly in the in the general and the club section so taking the luxury out of it as part of its revenue sharing and you're right Scott this is a wild dichotomy but but the raiders in essentially the first year where they were selling tickets in their new stadium allegiant stadium 
It had $119 million in general and club ticket sales, ranking number one in the NFL, while simultaneously being number 25 in just gross total uh, of tickets sold. The stadium's not very big, Scott, which obviously plays a role here. I think it's the third or the fourth smallest stadium in the NFL, so that at least accounts for maybe some of that difference, but it is pretty wild to think that you can have that big a delta between where you rank in total ticket sales and then where you rank literally at the top of the league in terms of ticket revenue. And I'm going to go down. What do we have? I don't know if I have the top five or six here. So Raiders, number one. Yep. 49ers, number two. It'll tick right right below 117. Patriots, Rams. And by the way, the Patriots, once again, every time I think like the Jets and Giants spent $1.5, $1.6 billion on the facility, which I, I, I'm not taking shots at the Jets and Giants. From a design standpoint, I don't think anybody passes by MetLife Stadium and says, what a pretty stadium. Or what a, you know, it just, they, that's just sort of the general feedback I get. $1.5, sure. $1.6 billion. All right. The Patriots, they, they built Gillette for like 300 and something mil, right? And then they have the land around it. They're developing that with Patriot Place, cash register around. All right. So 49ers, Pats, Rams, Giants, Cowboys. None of that surprises me. I mean, there's a reason why these franchises are what they are sort of in, in the zeitgeist. And, and one of those that I'll, I'll highlight in there that you mentioned that the 49ers at number two, they're right behind the Raiders. The Raiders were 119 million. The 49ers were 117 million. The 49ers were, I believe, the first team last year to introduce tickets that were all you can eat, yes. essentially for non-premium concessions. It seems like that is maybe one of the things that, that boosted their number up to number two uh, from a ticket revenue standpoint, the it seemed like a while ago after the Falcons that there was going to be this this bad rush of trend to making concessions significantly cheaper street pricing. That doesn't seem to have really happened, but there are, I've talked to a number of people who think that this idea of all-inclusive food uh, and, and, and soda and ticket all in one price might actually be Take a kind it from of revolutionary a parent. concession Take it change. from a parent. So, That's where you want to go. There you go. So interesting to me that that after making that change, the 49ers ended up at number two. For people who are curious, the bottom here, number 32 in the league, the Lions at 51 million, so way more than, or less than half of what the Raiders brought in. Number 31, the Washington Commanders, and number 30, the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, now the Commanders, we have to figure if they get a new stadium, will be in the top five the following year. Agreed. Agreed, okay. Very funny, though, because we mentioned uh, Giants, and then you said the Falcons. My mm. first co-host on the first business of sports thing I ever did was a guy by the name of Jerry Azar. Azar, I hope you're listening. You know, do you know Jerry? Great, uh, I don't great. know him personally, but I know him professionally. Great yeah. personality. I mean, Jerry was great, but I mean, the worst type typist ever. So all of our <laughs> scripts always used to say the Ginyats. He was always G-I-N-A-T-S. It was the Ginyats and the Flackens. <laughs> Every single time. And then we just started calling them that on the show. Like it was, it just came out like normal. So as soon when I was going to let it go at Giants, but then you brought up the Falcons, and the only thing that came rushing back into my brain was the Ginyats and the Flackens because so of funny. Jerry Azar. So there, stuff. there you go, Jerry. We love it. Uh, all right. So tell me, what do I need to know? This one you want to discuss. You're the esports guy, so you hmm. want to discuss Phase Clan as a public company. What do we need to know? Why is this interesting? So the the basic nuts and bolts is that Phase Clan, which is a 
kind of an esports team, kind of a collective of of, of YouTube and, and online influencers. Uh, they are going public or went public today, as we record this on on the twentieth on, uh, on on Wednesday. Went public via a SPAC deal. We've known the deal was coming for a while now, as these SPAC deals typically happen. But we've seen a lot of Scott, and we've talked about them on the podcast. We've seen a lot of SPAC deals that looked like they were great deals that everybody wanted to wanted to execute 12 months ago. And now that the market looks a little bit different, uh, people have decided that they instead actually really want to walk away from the deal. And there was speculation that this was going to happen as well. That's going to be a so verbal. One thing we'll I that, think, how about we call that to Musk? To, to, to Musk. There you <laughs> the, go. The desire so, to walk away to Musk. I, I think one thing that we can talk about is just the fact that this deal got done in, in July of 2022 when so many other SPAC deals were, were falling apart. And then secondly, this is by far, there's a few other publicly traded esports companies or, or esports organizations. This is by far the biggest. And the sentiment that I have seen, certainly online and, and, and from people who own teams or people who closely watch and follow esports or believe in it as an industry, everybody seems to think that this is, one, a big moment for esports, and two, that that if this goes well for FaZe Clan and for investors, that that is fantastic for the industry and that there would be concern if this, goes really poorly for FaZe Clan and for investors, what this might mean for, for the rest of esports as well. So I think every literally everybody in the industry is going to be closely watching FaZe. I haven't looked at how the trading is doing in its first day of trading. I think right as the thing launched, the, the valuation on it was $725 million. They do $53 million in revenue last year, so a nice 13x multiple right there. But again, I think this is, a lot of people are going to be paying attention to this to see relatively young industry still esports, what what it means to have its first kind of mega publicly traded organization. All I know about Phase Clan is they use Phase whatever in the name. I remember Phase Jarvis for some reason that you know. <laughs> there you go. And yeah. I remember my focus group of one trying out for. I guess there's not like the real Phase, but like there were there were people recruiters all over the games looking out for people who like kids who were pretty good players. And then, like, inviting them to try out for their little group team. And I just remember him telling me, like, he was trying out for phase something. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. But then again, I, I don't know if right or wrong. He Maybe he was. He certainly knew more about it than I did. But I just chuckled because, like, for him, that was the biggest thing in the world, right? Like, some, somebody a, asked him to try out for their team. It's, it's an, it really, they have a really interesting model. Uh, and, and their business is a bit different than a lot of esports teams, organizations, a lot of their money obviously comes from sponsorship. That's true across uh, across the industry, but content partnerships is a big thing. I mean, there are a lot of people to think about FaZe, not not as an esports group, but as like a gaming influencer, like cultural uh, yeah. touchstone, right? They, they do a lot in, in, in merchandise collaborations. They had a big one with Champion. Uh, I do think it's a very interesting company and, and, and it is essentially a, a first in that world from a publicly traded one. So it'll, it will get a, sense, a, a chance to look at, you know, selfishly as a journalist. I love publicly traded companies because you, you get so much information about their business that you can then extrapolate to other groups that, that are private and, and, and the Packers, quote unquote, public, but fall kind of in that category as well. So, so definitely interested. It's been a rough uh, three years for the esports industry, which was flying high right before the pandemic. And I think there's some realism that has set in to, to, to professional and competitive gaming in some ways over the past few years, but but definitely a moment that I wanted to discuss here because I think anyone who works in the industry is going to be closely following what happens with uh, with FaZe moving forward. Yeah, and if people don't know you sort of hinted on it, I feel it's almost like a lifestyle brand. 
It's like you, that's the right. Merchant, yeah. If yeah, if you go phase, I mean, they've got you know the gamers, they've got the esports players, the content creators, which which is that's the aspirational part right there. The content creators just bring people into the ecosystem, and then you want to wear the phase, you know, the champion sweatshirts, the the t shirts, everything else. Yeah, Un- unbelievably amazing. Uh, interesting to watch because, like you said, it was a billion dollar valuation. And I love, by the way, if you're gonna have a ticker symbol, you're gonna be phase clan. Have your ticker symbol be phase. <laughs> yeah. like, give me a Nasdaq four. Nice phase. That's what I want to know. I know exactly, exactly what it exactly. is. All right. Now tell me this. You this one I don't have I have no prior knowledge whatsoever. But apparently you were down at the Wharton School in Philadelphia recently. And I guess what a whole bunch of the students were asked for predictions or were talking about predictions. And you said you found some of them interesting and you and you wanted to bring it up on the show. Yeah, this is fun. I went down on Tuesday down to Philadelphia to see uh, Sam Mondry Cohen's uh, one of his classes down at the Wharton School, um, studying, you know, looking into sports business and 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 a lot of the things that you and I talk about. And one of the things that we did uh, at the end was ask the the class, and there was about a hundred, hundred and twenty five kids in the class. Ask them, you know, what are some bold predictions you have for? Uh, for sports and sports business uh, moving forward. And Scott, I want to run a few of them by you. Some of them I think you and I would agree are definitely going to happen. Some might not, but I want to get, I'll put you on the spot a little bit and get get some rough thoughts for you. So so I wrote a few of them down that I thought were particularly interesting. One of them, uh, the NBA will add two teams, expand two extra teams in the next couple of years. What do you think? Next about couple that? of years? No, false. Next uh, couple of years. No, negative. Not next couple of years. You think it's going to take longer will, than that? Yes, it will take longer than the next couple of years. But yes, that will happen. It'll be Seattle and Vegas, but it will not be in the next couple of years. How confident are we in Seattle, Vegas? That seems like the obvious I'm very thing, confident. But very confident. Very confident. You have, you're going to have the arenas in both. Um, may, you have ownership groups. Uh, you know, People will be vying uh, crazy money to, 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 including like Fenway Sports Group, wants the NBA team in Vegas. Um, You've already got the the great building and ownership group in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think those two are no brainers. Okay, but likely happening, but probably happening in 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 a longer time frame. A, a, lo- a longer timeline, yes. So right, half right, half wrong. Another one I enjoyed um, that there will be instead of the I think the common thought is that there will be two super conferences in in college sports. There will be three. there will be three super conferences, mm-hmm. uh, being the SEC, the Big Ten, and some collection of schools further out west. Um, so, so maybe some from the Big 12, maybe some from the Pac-12, et cetera. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that it's good, uh, a likely shakeout scenario. However, I think the Big 2, the SEC, and the Big 10 have enough on their own to then invite a few others where they don't really need the third. So the question is, what's the impetus to really reach out and put the bear hug on the third. And if it's, if it's too much of a dent in the, in the revenue, it won't happen. So I'm going to guess I'm going to always side with greed and say <laughs> that the big two will try Never and fails. keep it. Yeah. We'll try and keep it at two. Whereas everybody yeah. else is going to try and, you know, figure out how they can get their piece. But if it's not an absolute necessity, then the two will go it alone and try and cherry pick a couple of other teams uh, that that can help them. If there were to be a third, I think at this point you would need to have either the Big Twelve or the Pac Twelve essentially agree to no longer exist from an IP standpoint. You would need one of them to essentially give up the goose and decide that they're better 
to combine. And I'm, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, um, but it would take a, a massive concession from some conference to agree to essentially port over all of its teams to another and, and, and to go under that umbrella uh, or just a, a, a combined uh, a combined conference. But I thought that was interesting. A few others here, Scott, real quick, because you are the right person to ask about teams that might potentially hit the market. Um, one of the students thought that Michael Jordan would be selling the Bobcats at some point in the relatively near future uh, if things don't turn around for the franchise. Could be. Wouldn't bet against it. Um, I I think there's a... I see, this is weird. So come, sometimes we have a little inside knowledge of things and whatever. So there's something I don't want to tip <laughs> off on the show that we might be pursuing for stories. Sure. So this actually helps me out. Cause I just say, that's the one I was referencing. But when it happened, <laughs> um, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. I, I will say this. It would not shock me if more than one prominent team owner wound up selling his or her team. Uh, if certain things, certain conditions don't improve in the next couple of years. So I'll leave that's it at right. that. Yeah. And then we'll do one more. Uh, one of the students came up to me actually afterwards um, and mentioned that he thought the there would be a Super League, a European soccer Super League uh, within the next four or five years, um, which I think I do agree with personally. I mean, I th- there have been multiple attempts at it. The, some of these teams, particularly in, in Spain and Italy, have not given it up I'm going to say much, they're, they're uh, still they're still holding on, right? They're, yeah. they're still pushing. Um, I, I do think we have definitely not seen the last of attempts by some of the biggest clubs in Europe to carve away more of the money that they're generating uh, across the continent. Uh, but I did think that was an interesting one as well. Until I can wake up on a Saturday morning, flick on my EPL, and get just as excited for the West Brom match against Albion, <laughs> as I will for Arsenal and Man City, there will be a, a, a drumbeat of big team owners in European soccer who have to spend a lot of money to stay in the, that, that coveted Champions League position and global branding and all that. A- until that changes for some reason, uh, they will want a bigger slice of the pie. Whether or not the other clubs will be willing to acquiesce to the demands, I do not know. But we learn, right? There's never failure. You're either right or you learn. And I think the big boys learned a lot about what not to do or how not to go about things. And given a do-over, I, th- I think they can try and get what they want with a with a markedly different approach that will not alienate fans. You said earlier I'm going to side on the on the side of greed. Uh, I think what's happening in professional golf can be a, in some ways a proxy for what you're exactly talking Harbinger about. Harbinger of things the, to come. Yes. Not the first attempt to 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 make a more concentrated By the way, how how easy would it be stars, but if this I may, the successful one so far. If I yeah. may by the way. Because we're coming at a time now where Roger Federer is older, Rafa Nadal is older, Venus, Serena, the biggest stars of the game, right? How hard would it be for a live of tennis? Give me the two, three, four, five, and say, we're going to, you can play far less. We'll pay you a boatload of money to come and play top exhibition matches on a, you know, on a helipad somewhere. Um, I, I don't know how many 
players would turn that down. Like, why do the grind of the tour? There's so many players that like just do nothing in ratings, don't move the needle in terms of ticket sales. You, you think about the U.S. Open, right? How many players realistically are considered for your marquee night matches? Right, five, four, five. Yeah. Think of yeah, yeah. yeah, that that is rife for picking, right? It's just it's it's yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think other sports better better pay attention to what's going on. In tennis and the other one that sticks out to me is mixed martial arts. There's yeah. obviously a lot of conversation Very about UFC, the way yeah. UFC folks are are are, are compensated. Uh, it does certainly seem as though if somebody with with a lot of deep pockets and no concern for trying to profit off of those deep pockets wanted to to create a really popular collection of, of fighters that that might be something that, uh, that 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 might work as well so so yes no shortage of sports that I think are looking at what's happening in golf and and thinking huh I wonder how I can insulate myself from that or I wonder if there's an opportunity there in, in my sport yes all right so give me I'm gonna have my own uh, my own entertainment I'm gonna create my own entertainment and say why don't you close the show today Novi Williams let's have some fun all right let's, let's, well, let, let's see how this goes right, let, fun. He you want to think about is, it you want to think of it you want to think no, about I'm it going first, right, right in, into it going right in he is Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnik. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. He does a great job. Uh, and also shout out to Cora Veltman, our digital media editor, who wants you to know you can follow the Sportacast and download it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.